Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Once again, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 22, chapter 1, verses 22, all the way to chapter 2, verse 3. This is our CrossFit teaching series, Finding Wholeness in a Broken World. The title of this weekend's message is Born Again. If you'll remember when we kicked off this teaching series, first 12 verses of this letter written by the Apostle Peter, he's going through the ceiling over our salvation. He's just excited, and the more we understand it, uh, we'll be excited also. And he says in verse 3, chapter 1, 1 Peter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. We didn't spend any time talking about that, but now we are because he comes uh, to it here towards the end of the chapter of this first chapter talking about what it means to be born again. Why is this so important? Because uh, the basis for the process of finding wholeness in a broken world is being born again. Um, the first 12 verses uh, talking about really the, the indicatives, the facts, uh, the wealth that we have in Jesus Christ, and then starting at verse 13, working our way through uh, where we are right now, he talks about the imperatives, that is the commands, our response, so you got your riches, the amazing riches we have through Jesus Christ, and then now we have our response, and the big thing that we talked about, we spent about four weeks on this, is holiness, or being holy, devoted to God, W-H-O-L-L-Y, wholly devoted to God, that's what holiness is. Every area of our life, every moment of our life lived for God's glory, and uh, now he gets to this, this foundation, the foundation of this uh, wholly devoted life, and that's being born again. So the basis for the process of finding wholeness in a broken world is being born again. It is the most amazing life you could ever live, being born again. There's no other life like the life of being born again. Absolutely no other. Uh, some verses we taught our kids growing up, uh, we did a number of memory verses for them, and Jeremiah uh, 9, 23, and 24 were s some of my favorite verses that my kids memorized along with mom and dad. And it says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boast, boast of this. By the way, what do we boast in in our world today? All of those things. In our, uh, in our PhD, in our degrees, we boast in that. Wow, he's really a smart guy. Or we boast about how athletic this guy is. I mean, think about it. These athletes, there's athletes out there that run up and down a court and put a ball in a hoop and uh, they make $30 million a year. That's pretty crazy. The, the soccer, how many have been following the, I guess it's called football, the rest of the world calls it football, but soccer, those guys make even more money. And so that's what we boast in. We boast in uh, how smart people are, how athletic people are, their strength, and then just how rich people are. And so this scripture is saying, you know what, that's nothing. That's nothing to boast in. If you're gonna boast in anything, boast in the fact that you know me. And this is God speaking. In fact, let me read it. It says, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love. That, that in itself is enough. Uh, Psalm 63.3 says, the psalmist says, his steadfast love is better 
than life, better than anything in life. And then he goes on, who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So what he's saying is that the smartest, strongest, wealthiest people in this world have nothing on those who are born again, really those who know God, because the only way that you can know God is you have to be born again. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. Why do we need to be born again and uh, what it means to be born again? Two of the two statements we'll be looking at, I think we can draw from, uh, from our text and then from the fuller context of Scripture. This stuff is really, really important this morning. So I'm glad you're here. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray and then we'll dive into our text. Father God, once again we come to you the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but you being rich in mercy because of the great love with which you loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we have been saved through faith. What an amazing life you have given us You have made us alive to the unspeakable joy of your presence, the unlimited strength of your power, the indomitable peace that guards our hearts and minds in all circumstances. God, we pray this morning that this Bible study of your very words, the very words from your mouth to us would comfort those who are born again, convict those who aren't, And we pray that you would open blind eyes and deaf ears to the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for us to the degree that it would ruin us for anything else. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Take a look at this text. And so as I stated, first 12 verses are salvation, the wealth. Next uh, verses, verses 13 through 21, and as we continue on, really talks about our responsibility, our response to the gospel. Verse 22 is where we pick up our reading, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. This is what happens to people that are wholly devoted to Christ, purifying their souls through their obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. We'll talk about that next week, what this looks like. It's certainly one of the major characteristics of those who are born again. You're going to have a capacity to love others unlike you've ever experienced before, and that's what he's saying. For sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now he lays out the foundation. Since you have, because you can do this, because you're going to live a holy life, a life wholly devoted to God, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass in all its glory, like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the, fall, and the flower falls. Stop there just for a minute. What he's doing, he's comparing us to the flowers in the field that perish. He's saying that being born again, you will perish spiritually. Um... John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish. He's talking about being born again. So he's just saying, if you're not born again, you're doomed. You're going to perish. The Bible's very clear about that, and this is what he's trying to, to understand. Verse 25, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So it's the word of the Lord, uh, the proclamation of the gospel, as he's going to say, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. You begin to see this and how this uh, 
works in our lives. Chapter 2, verse 1, so put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted, I love this verse, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord to us. So you can kind of see where we're going to be. We're going to camp out on these uh, verses for the next three, four weeks. So we're going to talk about being born again, and then next week we'll talk about this love, that, this greater capacity of love for God and for others. And then we're going to talk about the marks of, of spiritual growth or spiritual maturity. I think we've got that right here. And then we'll talk about the means to spiritual maturity, what that looks like over the next four weeks as we work through just this text. So we're going to read the same text over and over again and uh, talk about those four different <clears throat> topics. Now, let's talk about this idea of being born again. Why we need to be born again? Because, number one, it is not an option but essential to being a Christian. It is not an optional. It is not optional. It's not an option but essential to being a Christian. How many are uh, old like me, at least old enough to remember, how many know who the uh, 39th uh, president of the United States was? Anybody? Yell them out to me. Carter. Oh, good. You guys were thinking that, weren't you? Yeah, mo most of us probably didn't even know it, but Jimmy Carter, and uh, he said that he claimed to be a born-again Christian. You guys remember that? Okay, there's like three of us that remember that because we're old enough to remember that, I guess. Huh? Some of you aren't that old, but, but he claimed to be a born-again Christian, which is a title of redundancy. Now, it seemed as though, I don't know if it started then, but from that time on, it seemed that people that would identify as Christians, and immediately people would say, but are you born again? Almost to make a distinction that you can be a Christian or you can be a born-again Christian, but they're not the same. But the, the, the problem with that is that the Bible says that's not true, that if you're a Christian, you're going to be born again. If you're born again, you're a Christian. You guys tracking with me? So, so to be a Christian, you are indeed born again. You can't be a Christian unless you, you are born again. And um, how many are old enough to remember that show of hands that when they begin to make that distinction and they would call people born again? See, look at that. Some of you are really old, 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 just like me. Yeah, it's interesting. You don't hear that term as much nowadays, and yet it's very biblical, and it really goes along with this idea of being a Christian. I gave you some cross-references here. John chapter 3 is where Nicodemus shows up. This guy is a religious leader, highly esteemed in his culture. I mean, this guy went to church, read the Bible, prayed, dropped money in the box, helped the poor, did a lot of good things. And he comes to Jesus at night, kind of uh, secretive, because, you know, the Pharisees really despise Jesus. And uh, so he comes at night and he says, hey, uh, Jesus... Uh, we know that you're a teacher from God because no one could do the signs and the things that you do. And you guys remember how Jesus responds to him? This very highly esteemed man of that culture. The first thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth, he says, you must be born again. Whoa, what is that about? See, all of the, the uh, doctrinal knowledge, all of the church attendance, all of the the helping out the poor will not make you born again. You can do all of those things and still not be born again and still not be a Christian. That's, that's the point that Jesus is saying. You must be born again. In fact, in fact let, me, let me point out to you, and it's really important. I mean, this is, this is terrifying, actually, what he's saying to him, if you really understand what he's saying. It's unbelievably terrifying. Because he goes on and he says, 
You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. You can't even see the kingdom of God and you can't even enter into the kingdom of God unless you are born again. And it's unbelievably terrifying because do you understand what's hanging in the balance? Life and death. Heaven and hell for all eternity. What is he saying? He's saying, guess what? You can't get to heaven unless you are born again. All the good works in this world will never get you there. Because if you were to ask most, most Americans if they're going to heaven, most would say what? Oh, absolutely. And why would they say that they're going to heaven? Because they are what? They are basically a good person. And Jesus would say, you need to be born again. <clears throat> now, there's another verse, uh, set of verses there also, John 14. 4, 13 through 9, uh, 14. Jesus is also talking about born again, though he doesn't use that, the term, but he's talking about the woman at the well. How many remember the story of the woman at the well? The disciples go into town for food. Jesus is interacting with this woman and he asks her for a drink and they get into this dialogue and it's really quite interesting because Jesus is speaking metaphorically, trying to help her to uncover that here she's been married five times and then she decides, hey, no more of this marriage stuff. I'm gonna just uh, kind of shack up with this dude because I'm not gonna try that anymore. That didn't go well. And so I'll just live with the guy. And apparently, obviously driven in her life uh, by the need for male affection, thinking that somehow this is gonna meet her deepest needs. And Jesus wants her to know, no, there's no man out there that can meet your deepest needs. There's nothing that you could ever do in this world that could meet your deepest needs. Only I can do that. And so they, they carry on this conversation and I've got it written down here, John 4, 13 through 14. Jesus says to her, if you drink of this water, you will be thirsty again. Talking of the water she was drawing from the well and also speaking figuratively of her lifestyle. And any lifestyle in this world that is contrary to the lifestyle that God gives to us or having a relationship with God. See, you drink of this water, you're gonna be thirsty again. But if you drink of the water that I give to you, you will never, listen to me, he said, and you will never be thirsty again. In fact, out of your innermost being, out of your heart will flow rivers. It will just bubble over like a spring of living water unto eternal life. You'll never be more satisfied than when you drink from the water that I'm gonna give you. And he's really speaking of this idea of being born again. So, so why do we need to be born again? You can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. You're not gonna be able to make it to heaven, the kingdom of God or heaven or experience God, this side of heaven, without it. And guess what? You're not gonna experience the life-liberating soul satisfaction that can only come through Christ unless you are born again. That's why we need to be born again. It is... It is essential, it's, it's not optional. Here's the next point, number two. It is not just forgiveness of sins, but a, but a new life. How many, uh, like me, really appreciate uh, the fact that all of our sins, when we come to Christ, all of our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven? Show of hands. That's big. And from the looks of this crowd, some of you really need that desperately, even more so than, than I. Okay, and I'm kidding because guess what? We all desperately need forgiveness of sins because all of our sins, even if it's a small amount of sins or a whole lot of sins, we're all sinners eternally separated from God. And so we're all desperate for that and he gives that to us. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. That's, <laughs> that's crazy. I love that. That's amazing. 
It says, no, not ever will he hold anything that I have done against me. It was nailed to the cross. But it's more than that because we need more than that. He doesn't just give us forgiveness of sins, but he gives us a new life. Here's the verse that I prayed this morning. The two verses, actually, Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God being rich in mercy. Now, he's gone through the first three verses of chapter two of Ephesians talking about our depravity and our enemy, Satan, and our own sinful nature and the values of this world are all contrary and how we followed after we were under the influence, we were intoxicated by Satan, sin, and our society. And he says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Oh my goodness, those are wonderful verses. And so, I mean, three things stand out. God's mercy, his great love, and his grace. Many of you are familiar with John 10.10. It's a theme verse here. The thief comes to do what? Kill, steal, and destroy. So that would be the, the predicament that we are in on this planet Earth. We see that happening all around us. So the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you might have what? Life to the fullest. Yeah, life to the fullest, not just a quantity of life, knowing that when I die, I'm going to be with him for all eternity, which will be absolutely wonderful, but a, a slice of heaven on Earth <clears throat> because I have his presence with me. It's not just a quantity of life, but a quality of life with Christ. In other words, there is, there is a love that is unquenchable from the one who created you. That there's nothing that could put that love out for you. And then when you begin to respond to that love, there's that unquenchable love that you have for him and then for others. There is a joy that is unspeakable that nothing in this world can rob you of. There is a peace that is indomitable that goes beyond our understanding. It even goes against, you know, the, even in the midst of, of crisis and chaos in our life, there's a peace that guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And, and many more like that. That's that quality of life that we can experience. 2 Corinthians 5.17 also describes, describes this new life. Those that, that, those that are in Christ have become a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new, have become new. The, the word is also used for being born again as regeneration, regeneration, uh, a new genesis, a new beginning. Say that word with me, regeneration. 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 So those words go hand in hand. You have been regenerated, new genesis, new beginning. And so what we learn here is that being born again is not turning over a new leaf, but it's a brand new life. It's not self-help. It's not moral improvement. It's not a new lease on life. But it's, uh, and, and even C.S. Lewis said that it's not becoming a nice person. A lot of times people think that Christianity, oh, just becoming a nice person. No, 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 it's a new person. It's a brand new person. I also like what C.S. Lewis says. I think he helps us to understand this, this new life that we have. He said this, he who has God in everything else has no more than he who has God only. You see the weight that he's putting on that? So if you have God and you have everything else in the world, you don't have really any more than someone who has God only. 
Do you understand that? Do you, do you, are you living in the reality of that? Because we're always thinking, hey, okay, I've got Jesus, but if I, could just, if I could just get married, yes, if I could just get married, or if I could just get my marriage turned around, or if I could just uh, get these kids to respond to me, oh my goodness, or if I could just get these kids out of the house, or if I can, I mean, we always add, add to Jesus something else that will make us happy, and the Bible's actually saying, wait, 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 you have everything you need in him to find the most contentment and completeness you could ever experience. And that's that, that, new, that new life that we, have, that we have in him. And so, that's, uh, so we, we need to be born again because, because it's not optional, it's essential. It's not just forgiveness of sins. We need that new life. But what is that new life? Here's number three. It is a new life with a supernaturally transformed heart. Is a new life with a super, uh, supernaturally transformed heart. What is fundamentally wrong with us anyway, okay? I'm trying to figure this out. Well, we, the Bible tells us what's wrong with us. When you look at how messed up our society is, would you guys agree with me that our world is, is in a mess? Yeah, so what's fundamentally wrong with us? Well, here's what's fundamentally wrong with us is that we are spiritually alienated from God. And see, we were to walk in the garden in the cool of the day and to experience the love of God. We were to look into our creator's eyes and have him look back into our eyes and say, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased and receive all of the acceptance and security and significance we'll ever need. And so then, therefore, we can be naked and unashamed. But you'll notice that the first thing that happened is that when they were spiritually alienated, they became, they were naked and very ashamed and began to cover up and begin to play the game. You know, and that's what we do. And so what happens is that the spiritual alienation leads to a psychological alienation inside of us and incompleteness, and therefore we become desperate. <clears throat> we try to fill the void. Because we're convinced through the enemy and through the, the deception of the enemy is that we're going to, that he's somehow holding out on us, that God is holding out on me. And so, so that unbelief leads to pride, thinking I can do that on my own. I can kind of discover life on my own apart from the maker of life and the creator of life, and then we begin to replace God with something else, and that's called idolatry. So it creates all sorts of, of problems. It's really self-centeredness that, that creates a lot of the issues in in our life. I was thinking about this a little more detail just to kind of help you to understand the self-centeredness and this fact that we need the supernaturally transformed heart. And I was talking to my wife last night and uh, she, she reminded me and we were discussing this that in the early days of our marriage, I struggled with the fact that, <clears throat> that I tended to be nicer to those that were on the job. This is when I was working uh, in construction and then on the fire department that I tended to treat people on the job better than I treated my own family. <clears throat> and that's messed up. Would you guys agree with that? Okay. And so, uh, and so I was more respectful to those people on the job and my own, you know, and then there's a lot of different reasons for that. Maybe you're just afraid you're going to lose your job or whatever. But what I begin to discover is that lacks integrity and that anytime my public life is better than my private life, there's a lack of integrity, and that's all pretense. Because who you are at home is who you really are. Who you are in private is who you really are. Even if when you come to church, you, hey, look at this, I'm, you know, little Miss Spiritual or Mr. Spiritual. I read my Bible, I pray. Or, I mean, do you read your Bible and pray at home behind closed doors more so? Do you connect with God more so than in public? 
or around others. And the reason why that's, that's pretense, that would be called kind of a um, common virtue motivated out of fear and pride, more about what people would think or say as opposed to living for that audience of one, a supernaturally transformed heart. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me on that? Because that's, that was really critical that I understood that early on, that I saw that. And so my, my love for my wife should exceed my love for anybody else and how I treat my family and how I live my life in private should be even much greater than that in public. And so that's reason why, and it just showed my self-centeredness. I was more concerned about what people thought of me and trying to put on a good impression and trying to score points and all those, those other things. That's games that we play. Um, Ezekiel 20, uh, 36, 26 to 27 describes this, this transformation, this transformed heart. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Second Corinthians 1 3, you're going to have to correct this on your notes. I think I've got 1 4, but it's actually meant to, it's supposed to be 1 3. It's not verse 4, but verse 3. And this is what it says His divine power has, has granted to us, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us by his glory and goodness. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. So Paul's saying, I'm identifying with the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we do when we're baptized. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's talking about a brand new life. Transformed life. Um... Real quick, uh, turn to the person next to you. If you were here last weekend, you know the answer, okay? So I, I asked you this question, and I, the, here's the question. Uh, what's the main difference between you and God? Real quick, see if people were here from last week and they know the answer. You should know the answer to that, real quick. How many remember that from last weekend? Okay, what's the answer to that question? What's the major difference between God and us, us and God? Okay, God never gets confused and thinks that he's you, okay? He never does, and we do it all the time. That's part of that self-centeredness. We want to make life all about us. By the way, that's the American way. That's what you are taught from day one through all the commercialism and the capitalism and the consumerism of our society today. It's all about you. You deserve it. And you, put, you push God off the throne and you're up there. And this is what's amazing is that the, the essence of sin is me taking God's place. The essence of salvation is God, is God taking my place on the cross and died for me. And his death brings me a life most only dream about. It's an amazing life. It's being born again, and that's, that's what we understand. And so this, is, this idea is that this is not a morally restrained will, but a supernaturally transformed heart. Here's the two ways that we typically play God. Now, back to uh, Nicodemus and the woman at the well. Nicodemus was trying to play God by keeping all the rules, thinking that somehow if I keep all the rules, then I've earned a right into heaven and a relationship with God. You can't do that. 
In fact, it would be almost kind of like you bragging that you can jump further as you try to cross the Grand Canyon than I can, okay? And because when you understand the chasm of sin that separates us from God, that's how, how much folly, how crazy that is. That somehow you can jump across the Grand Canyon. Oh, yeah, you can get a little bit further than I. And yet, all the jumping in the world, you might get about three feet further than me or, or maybe five feet. Uh, some of you, I can tell, you wouldn't get very far at all. But uh, I'm just kidding. But... Uh, but the fact is, is that none of us are going to get across the Grand Canyon. We're not going to do that. You can't earn it. That's a, that's a way of playing God, almost as if God owes you. And I see that happen all the time because people come to church, read their Bible, pray, do all that stuff, and then when things don't go their way, they go, well, what use is all of this? What good is this, God, if this is what you're doing? And it's almost as if, well, you don't understand the, you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand what you have in him. And then the other way is that not, it's, not by break, it's not by keeping the rules, but it's by breaking all the rules, thinking through just self-discovery that I don't need God, I can discover it on my own. And both of those are ways that we play God. And neither of those ways, either by earning it or trying to find it on our own, will we ever find life to be liberating and, and our soul to be fully satisfied as it can in being born and being born again. So that's why we need to be born again. Now let's talk about what it means to be born again. <clears throat> it is a distinct event that is over, but its effects continue on. Look at verse 23 of our text. You have been born again. The Greek, uh, in the Greek, that is a perfect, or past perfect. A past perfect means an event that happened and is over, but its effects continue. John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, it says, But to those who uh, did receive him, speaking of Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 13, very critical, he says, Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's not, it's not anything uh, you did. It's what God did. It's being born from above. So it is a distinct event that is over, but its effects continue on. James 1, 18, of his own will he brought us forth, some translations say gave us new birth, by the word of truth, <clears throat> that we should be kind of first fruits of his creatures. In other words, our lives will be so transformed, people will look and go, wow, okay, I see what God is up to as he's conforming our lives more and more into his image. Um, when I was with Phoenix Fire Department, I had the opportunity as a medic, a firefighter medic, to, with our crew to deliver about a half dozen babies in the field. Now, I've got to be honest with you, it wasn't something that I necessarily really uh, wanted to do, okay? They're really messy, they're kind of a mess. And so my goal as a medic was always to try to get them through the door of the hospital into a more controlled uh, environment. Uh, I mean, I, I realize, I mean, I've had a couple daughter-in-laws that have had babies, you know, at home. No, I didn't deliver them. They wouldn't probably even let me in the room. But, but, uh, but by midwives, and, and, and that's pretty common these days, but as medics, and we were fully trained, and, you know, the, the babies did fine, but it was just like, hey, you know, let's get them into a more controlled environment. And, and what was interesting about this 
is that not all the births were the same. Some were through very hard labor. I'll never forget this one, is that we're, we're trying to get this gal into the hospital and she's having these really strong contractions and we're just, come on, come on. And, and we're in the hospital and we're at, in county hospital and the third, you had to go up to the third floor, so we're in the elevator and she's like having this really strong contraction. I'm like, oh, we're almost there, we're almost there. Oh, keep your legs together, please. And, uh, you know, and I'm like, ah, and all of a sudden she pops that baby out in the elevator headed to the third floor in county hospital. And so we walk out of the elevator, here's the baby. Still attached to mom here, kind of. We haven't had a chance to cut the cord. Sorry. <laughs> and so they're like, ah, they're running around in there. And so some were like, you know, a lot of hard labor. And then there were others that were just like, man, we just walk in. There's the baby. Woo, wow. Just pop the baby out just like that. Now, the reason why I said that is uh, though some were from hard labor and others just pop their babies out, none, but nonetheless, one is not more born than the other, okay? Uh, there was a moment when they all passed from darkness, the womb, to light and in, into this world, and the same is true with spiritual birth, is that there's a moment in time, and you might not even know what, when that moment is, but you go from death to life. And, uh, and, and by the way, uh, you don't earn or contribute anything to, you didn't earn or contribute anything to being born. Anybody help mom birth you? You know, like, okay, mom, I know it's, it's, it's about time for me to get out of here. And I'm going to help you out here, mom. Okay, I, I probably should have done that, huh? I'm trying to climb out. I'm helping you, Mom. No, you didn't do that, did you? No, you big load. You just laid there. And Mom was like pushing. Come on, help out here. Give me a break. And she's just working like crazy. No, you didn't help. You didn't help at all. That was a gift. And so it is spiritually. So it is spiritually. It's a gift. You didn't help. You didn't contribute. I mean, that's uh, the same is true as spiritual birth. You don't earn or contribute anything to being born. It is a free gift of life, and so also it is with new birth. Salvation is by grace. Um, hey, let me tell you uh, just a quick story just so that you understand the severity of what I'm talking about here and how important this is that you go from death to life. And you need to understand that because to the degree that you understand that is to the degree that you will have forever massive appreciation for the grace of God. Um, hey, it's summer months. Watch your kids around the water, okay? Because I, I'm not really into doing any kind of uh, funerals for little babies because those were the most difficult calls we ever went on as, as medics. I'll never forget, forget going on a call uh, where a gal was babysitting about a six-year-old little boy and they had the kids playing in the backyard. The gate was locked and somehow this six-year-old boy was able to get behind the fence and he drowned. And this is a babysitter at a Bible study and he drowned. <clears throat> I'll never forget the, the drowning that I went on and I, I walked into the room as the 
parents and the family were standing over this little toe-headed boy who was dead and watched them weep over the loss of that little boy. It's devastating. It's devastating. And so, of course, I get a little paranoid around water. But obviously not enough because I actually saw my son, my son Ryan. We were in the pool and at my mom and dad's house. And Ryan was in one of these little... Uh, I don't know what they call them, but the little, where they put their feet in and they're just kind of floating around. And um, he was floating around in this thing and I had turned my back just for an instant. It just takes a few moments and I didn't hear much going on and I turned around and Ryan had flipped that over and he was underwater and I could see those big eyes as he was, as he was almost like he was trying to swim but he couldn't. He, was, he, had, that, he had desperation on his face and I, as a dad, you, you panic. You're just like, ah! And I swooped down in there and grabbed him up and brought him up in, on the deck with me. And believe me, Ryan, when he got up, he wasn't bragging about what a great swimmer he, he was. Like, hey, look at me, I just saved myself. No, no, no. Ryan was uh, choking on water. We wanted to make sure that he hadn't aspirated any water. And he did fine, but he clung to me. He clung to me. And, uh, of course, I've never heard the end of that because my wife, Nancy, said, you are one incompetent. <laughs> How many women would say that men, for the most part, aren't probably the uh, most... Uh, um, okay, I won't go there. But uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. I mean, I never heard the end of that. I was like, dude, you're supposed to be watching those kids. They're not... Uh, and so, okay, we, we won't go on from there. But, but, the, but here's the deal. Here's what I want you to understand is that you and I were drowning in our sin and our Savior reached down and pulled us out. And what do we do? We don't brag. We cling. We cling. Because we've never been more alive. We've never experienced more life in our life, more freedom more satisfaction. And so we continue to cling to him. See, when you understand your dire condition, apart from Jesus, the magnitude of his provision sends you through the ceiling. That's why the first 12 verses, he's just celebrating our salvation. I can always kind of tell people that are living in reality that they are so excited about the grace of God and so excited about all that God has done for us. Here's the next point. It is becoming partakers of God's divine nature and power. And so the Greek word here for born again is a little unusual. The normal word for born is geneo. It's a transliteration of the Greek. It's, it's from which we get our word generation, you know, to generate something. Uh, and that makes sense. But this word is anageneo or anageneo, which actually is the word not for the mother's role in birth, but the father's role. It's insemination. So verse 23, born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. So what is that seed? Second Peter 1, 4, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Verse, 30, uh, verse 3, let me go back to verse 3. His divine power has given us everything. So the divine nature, we have his divine nature within us. 
I mean, do you hear that? That is so, that is so profound. That is so mind-boggling. That is amazing. His divine nature, the very presence of God indwelling us. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us by his glory and goodness. So it only makes sense. Your life is going to be different. Now, Barna Group, it's a research group, has done a lot of research in the last decade. They have said that about 45% of Americans claim to be born again. And yet when they do the research, they would say that um, the lifestyle morality of born-agains is not much different than those who are not born again. So here's, here's the conclusion that I would draw. Either those folks and the churches are filled with a lot of immature believers and it's just a matter of time their life will be different or there's a whole lot of folks that, that believe that they're born again but they're not. Because if you have his divine nature within you, you're going to be different. You're no longer suited for a normal life. And we're going to talk about it next week. You're going to have a capacity for love for God and others that's just out of this world. And uh, I know that in, on any given weekend, there's a number of people that come in here that are going through some form of devastation in their life. Talked with someone last night. They're just, they're devastated by what's going on in their life. And I want you to understand what, what's happening here, what he says to us in, in Second, uh, Second Peter Chapter 1, verse 3, it's just a, it's a great memory verse. His divine power, whatever you're going through, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge. That word knowledge means intimacy. So as you cultivate greater intimacy with God through Jesus Christ, you have everything you need. You have everything you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called you by his glory and goodness. Why are you so angry? Why are you so stressed out? Why are you so, why do you worry so much? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That's a wonderful verse. Number three, it is a supernatural ability to see and to experience the kingdom of God. John 3, 3, you cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, 5, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So kind of, well, how do I know that I'm really born again? We kind of gets into this a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit. So here's what's interesting, is that you've got friends in your life that aren't born again, but because you are born again, they're gonna think you're a little weird, Okay. They're going to think, wow, you hear God, you talk to him, you have a relationship with the creator and the sustainer of the heavens and the earth. That's weird. It's because the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit for they are folly to him. In fact, it even tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. So my, my question for you is, what do you think of the cross? If it's folly to you, you're not born again. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So that's evidence that God's working in your life. Now, it is a supernatural ability to see and to experience the kingdom of God. 
supernatural ability to see and to experience the kingdom of God. You, when you enter into this life, this born-again life, you begin to hear the voice of the one who spoke all creation into being. It is amazing. When you're born again, you know the presence of the one that even the highest heavens cannot contain him. When you are born again, you have intimate communion with the one who has no rivals or imperfections and is of infinite and eternal value and worth. When you are born again, you have been called by the one to participate in the greatest drama of redemption that has ever staggered the imagination of man. That's part of seeing and entering the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven Now, real quick, last thing I'll have you talk with each other about, and then we're going to wrap it up. But why is it that neither Jesus nor Paul nor John point to activity in the church or miracles as evidence of being born again? So these guys, you never see in the scriptures where they say, okay, this is what it looks like to be born again. They talk about activity in the church. Come to church, read your Bible, pray. Or even miracles. They don't define that as someone who's born again. Real quick, discuss it with the folks around you. Okay, what do you guys think? Well, you guys weren't stumped on that. Some of you kind of had that look on your eyes. Like, oh, what is he talking about? She says, I thought, you know, I thought maybe if you go to church, you probably are born again or, you know, or man, if I, if I could work a miracle, I'm, I'm, I'm probably born again. No, no, actually, it's not true because it's not about doing as much as it's about being. And the Bible tells us, and I gave you some verses there, that uh, Matthew 7, 15 through 20, there will be those that are wolves in sheep's clothing that will do unbelievable miracles. And you, and you judge a tree by its what? By its fruit, by its fruit. And then also said that, uh, that on that day when we stand before God, by the way, everyone here will stand before God. You will stand before God, the one who died for you and give an account of your life. And on that day, there will be those that said, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And he will say, I don't know you, you workers of of sinfulness, of iniquity, of lawlessness. Here's my worst nightmare for you and for me, that you would sit under the teaching ministry of Desert Breeze week in and week out and not be born again and stand before God and he would say, I don't know you. That frightens me. You need to be born again. And that's, and that's the point. Here's, take a look. I gave you a whole list of things that, that looks like in your life. You begin to believe that Jesus is the Christ. First John 5, 1, cannot go on sinning. In other words, it's not that you're sin, you're not sinless, but you sin less because God's working in your life. You will have greater capacity to love others, 1 John 4, 7. You'll overcome temptations of the world, 1 John 5, 3 through 4. You'll be kept from ultimate harm from the evil one, 1 John 4, 4. And also you begin to experience more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So let's, let's, uh, let's end with this last point here, number four. It is the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the hearts and lives of the people of God. So this is what, it, what happens. This is how it happens. 
verse 23 of our text, through the living and abiding word of God. You're born again through the living, the living and abiding word of God. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Now, I'll, I'll invite you to study this on your own as you work through the growing notes. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 helps you to understand that. So if you're asking, am I born, born again? This is what you're going to be looking for. He says in, in uh, Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, he says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. In other words, we know you're born again because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So, so this is what's happening. As I'm speaking these words, that there will be conviction, a stirring, a moving in your heart, but it won't stop there. And he goes on to describe the change that it brings, but the biggest change is found in verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So what will happen is that there will be conviction and you will turn from sin to the living God. That you will begin to recognize that Jesus is more desirable and more satisfying than anything that you have ever chased after in this world. And you will give your life to him. And it's not just a once done thing. It's a, it's a lifestyle of, of faith and repentance, repentance and faith, repentance and faith, turning back to him, running back into his arms. Let me read to you a story and then we'll pray. And then you guys are out of here. William Holland was one of the Wesley's friends, Charles and John, founders of Methodist movement. And you want to know how he got converted? Listen to this. Uh, this was in the 1740s. He said that Mr. Charles Wesley was reading the preface to Martin Luther's commentary on the Galatians out loud, and he heard these words. What have we then? Nothing to do? No. Nothing but only accept of him, Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And he said, when I heard those words, there came such a power over me as I cannot well describe. My great burden finally fell off in an instant. My heart was so filled with peace and love that I burst into tears. My friends, perceiving me so affected, fell on their knees around me and prayed. And when I afterwards went out into the street, I could scarcely feel the ground I was walking on. Amazing, amazing. Are you born again? Are you born again? Have you encountered Jesus? Do you know him? Has he transformed your heart and life? That's my prayer for you. And if you want to learn more about it, come up, talk to me at the end, fill out the card, say, hey, put it in the box. I'd like to have someone call me up. I want to talk more about this. I want to be born again. Feel free to do that. We'd love to chat with you about that. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Next week, we're going to talk about the difference it makes in our lives and our ability to love one another. So let's pray. So God, we pray in the... In the the rest of this day, this weekend, this com the coming week, Lord, make us alive. Make us alive to the beauty of Christ, to the glory of the cross, to the seriousness of sin, to the preciousness of salvation, to the wonder of heaven and the horrors of hell, to the desperate lostness of those around us. God, make us alive to the power of the gospel to transform lives to the most amazing life we could ever live in union and communion with Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. God bless you.